We have made it to the end of another book. Dun, 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 dun. Go team, woo! And yes, I almost didn't put it in the bulletin just to mess with you, but I, <laughs> I stuck it in there. So you will be warned when we get started next week, we'll be there until next year. There'll be some breaks, obviously, but uh, we'll discuss all that later on. But yeah, 12 weeks with what? We had a break for two, two weeks at Easter and then a week at Pentecost, so over a quarter of the year to get through Ecclesiastes. But I think it has been worthwhile. You have survived this long, and more importantly, I have survived this long going through this book without referencing this chapter one time. <laughs> and that was intentional, and it hurt, because it's, this, this chapter contains one of my favorite verses. Okay, so it pains me to not use it for weeks on end. <laughs> it's, it's like having, I don't even know, it's like having a, a favorite food and be like, no, 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 I'm not going to eat it while everyone's holding it in front of you all day long. So it is worth doing though, because in this chapter, Solomon is finally giving up the worldly ghost. So all of that, we're going to examine the world from the world's perspective. It has produced meaninglessness. It has produced nothing. It has produced death. It has rendered everything moot. We have abandoned that. You get to the end of things and you have to get down to what's really real, what actually makes sense. And that is chapter 12. Now, here's why that's so good. He didn't have a choice. And you, as you read through Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes he almost doesn't want to get to this conclusion. He's trying to find another answer another way, and it's just not there. It just isn't there. Now, that's one of the reasons why I love this chapter. The second reason I love this chapter, Solomon, Solomon pulls no punches. He is snow shovel to the face guy. It's like going through the book of Job. The realities of humanity are like pulling the band-aid off, not gently. Like remember when you're a kid and you were pulling the band-aid off slowly, and then one of your parents would just walk in and be like, oh just <laughs> I was trying to avoid doing that. Yeah, it's it's not worth it. Just just rip the that's Solomon. Solomon is ripping the band-aid off, and he gives us a great description of the frailty and brokenness of humanity in a way that we don't think about it that is utterly accurate. And we will dive into that in just a minute, actually. So with all of that said, let's dive in and have some fun. Uh, verse 1. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. See, this is a warning based on a good worldview as well as a human reality. See, for those of you that are under the age of 60, if you think you're bitter now, give it a minute. And I'm serious. Life has a way, and it has a way intentionally and because of sin, of wearing down all of your cover, of wearing down all of your lies, all of the things you would like to keep separated, all the things you would like to keep hidden, all of the things you would like to lie to the world about you and to you about you. Time has a way of just like a cheese grater, just ripping those off slowly over time. Your bitterness, if you are a bitter human being at 20, by the time you hit 80, you know what's going to happen? Yeah, you're going to really hate everybody. <laughs> I didn't pick on you, but I heard the giggle. <laughs> I heard the giggle. If you're yelling at people to get off your lawn in your 30s, by the time you're in your 70s, you'll be, you'll, you'll be Rambo rigging up explosives or something to try to keep them off of there. <laughs> That's not an encouragement, by the way. Don't move off to a cabin in Montana and be the Unabomber again, okay? <laughs> I mentioned it because he just died this past week. Um, life does this because as things speed up, this is one of those, um, oh, who did this study? Some years ago, I remember random things. I just don't always remember where I found them. But someone actually did a neurological study to explain why a, not all of them. So if you're not one of these people, I'm not, I'm not talking about you, not all of them. But why in general, as people get older, they have a tendency to drive slower. Again, not everybody. You could be like my grandfather, who I'm convinced he thought that road number, like, you're on Highway 125. He thought that was the speed limit. <laughs> Used to sit as a teenager. My grandfather's 85 years old, and I'm watching that Buick Century speedometer. You know, the, the straight ones, they just go straight along like this. And you go, should it be like three quarters of the way on this side and just never stop going up until we get to some place we have to stop? You know, just... In his defense, that car 
did not like any speed under 50 miles an hour. It was one of those cars that everything bumped and jostled because it's an old Buick made out of a steel frame. But once you got it up around 65, 70 plus miles an hour, it just kind of floated along. And so I just think he drove until it felt right. And then he was just <laughs> la di da, you know, no worries in the world. There are exceptions. But in general, like you drive down the interstate and you fly some by somebody who's going half the speed limit. What is it? A little old lady with knuckles above her eyebrows, right? You know, looking through the steering wheel. Why? It's not because somebody got old and went, well, you know, I'm just going to drive slower now because I'm old and I have more time to get there. No, they don't process life as quickly as you did when you were younger. The world sped up. Now, when everything around you is speeding up, what do you try to do to counter it? You try to slow down to control what you can control. This happens to all of us as we age. I experienced this um, coaching, uh, coaching baseball and playing softball. All of a sudden, the ball gets hit, and you realize in your 30s that the ball comes at you faster than I did when I was in my teens and my 20s. Because, and the ball's not coming faster. It's just I'm reacting to it slower. The world speeds up. No, it doesn't. I slowed down. This is a blessing of God. This is you having your vitality, your strength, your wisdom, your dependence being stripped away slowly and slowly over time so that you will recognize that you are dependent upon your creator and that you need something that this world cannot provide. Now, that's hard enough in Christ. Take Christ out of the picture and imagine a human being going through that process left to their own devices and their own sins and their own angers. And what do you get? I have met bitter people in nursing homes. They exist because life is hard and the world has sped up and they are angry. And that's the warning here is life comes for everyone. It is stalking every single one of us every single day. And the encouragement here is that you do not have to live it alone and you do not have to try and encounter it in your own power. This is something the prophets recognize, something like Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and the Lord will have compassion upon him. Let him return to God for God will abundantly pardon. That's the reminder that must be held throughout the rest of this chapter is that there is a God who is redeeming people. There is a God who calls to his people and who answers them when they call upon him. Now, that human reality is beautifully described in poetic language that we all misunderstand for the next few verses. Shall we have fun and dig into them? All right, verse two. Before the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. Um, before everything gets dark, that's not a judgment metaphor. That's a picture of aging. Like how many people go through 60, 70, 80 years and don't end up here at some point? <laughs> at some point you do. For those of you that are like, I don't wear my glasses. We know, we know you have the little contact delivery thing that comes to your house every so often. It's okay. <laughs> And what you'll notice is one of those oddities of life. Do you notice um, when you take your sunglasses off, it's, or not your sunglasses, you take your glasses off that sometimes if the, if the weather's right, it's not just that everything got a little blurrier, but everything actually got a little darker. You don't see it as well. You lose, it's, it's like going from HD to, you know, standard definition. Or like when you watch an old YouTube video from the 70s, you're like, how did we ever see anything? <laughs> I'll see old highlights from football games from the 80s and 90s. And it's like, how did we know what was happening? <laughs> It's bizarre. Likewise, if you ever sit in a room, my in-laws did this to us. We went over to visit, and they had bought this brand new massive television, but they put it in the same room as their other television, and the room wasn't big enough for the HD TV that they bought. And so we're, Cameron and I are sitting on the couch watching it like this because you can't get far enough away. It's like, I, I feel like I'm in this movie, and I don't like it. That's what's being described here. The sun, could you imagine, imagine looking at a 22-year-old and going, you know there's going to come a day when the sun won't be so bright. <laughs> what is wrong with you, man? Give it a minute, kid, it'll be fine. That's the reality that's coming on. This is the frailty of humanity, is the things that should be obvious, that are never going to change. Like, what, what, do we use this as a metaphor for life, don't we? As sure as the sun will rise in the east, Right? As sure as the sun's bright rays will shine, there's coming a day when they won't be so bright, when you'll be looking at the stars like this, 
And you'd be like, didn't, the, didn't we used to be able to see craters on the moon? I remember when I was a kid, there were craters up there. Oh, they didn't go anywhere. The craters didn't leave. Your clarity of vision left. That's step one. Verse three. In the day that the watchmen of the house tremble, the mighty men stoop, the grinding ones stand idle because they are few, and those who look through windows grow dim. This is to remember God before your body completely breaks down, before the watchmen of the house tremble. Before the mighty men stoop. You ever run across that? I've I've talked about my grandmother before. My entire life, I remember my grandmother like this. Why? Leg strength. This isn't a back problem. This is a problem that goes through the hips and the glutes and into the, the leg muscles. They give out and the body can't be held up anymore and you end up doing this number. The grinding ones stand idle because they are few. Uh, You've never been to the dentist, have you? Never had seniors with dental implants because teeth are missing. Imagine a world where we don't have those dental implants, where you don't have partials and dentures and things like that. See, you all laughed at those commercials when you were in your 20s, didn't you? Where they used to do the polydent thing and they'd sit there and put the little polydent glue and then they're biting an apple and you're like, that's just the most ridiculous thing in the world. Stop picking on me. (laughs) That's the metaphor here. You're getting older. The roots of the gums are giving way. Teeth are coming out. The grinding men, you can't enjoy that food because they're going away and there are few. And those who look through windows grow dim. That's back to the eyes again. The entirety of the body, the things you take for granted. How often do you take for granted that I stand up and walk? That I can, that I can grab a glass of water and drink it? My entire life, watching my grandmother do that because she had um, early onset Parkinson's and some other neurological things. That was an adventure. Like she couldn't just grab a glass, pick it up, and drink it because it went like this. I'll never forget, my grandparents had this little four-person table in their kitchen, and my grandmother had, um, my mother and I were over, and they had one of those clean-out-the-fridge days, you know, where you get all the leftovers from the week, and so nobody's got the same food on their plate. And I'm sitting across from my mother, and my grandparents are sitting across from each other. And my grandfather has something, no, my grandmother has something on her plate that my grandfather wants to try. I don't even remember what it is. So she stabs it with her fork and just leans over the table and tries to feed it to him. And right in front of my face, all I can see is this, because her hand is shaking, and my grandfather is doing this. (laughs) And I realize after a minute of this that my mother and I are looking at each other, and you know what we're doing? We're going. (laughs) And then it hit me what was happening, so I just grabbed her wrist. My grandfather impaled it like, you know, the dog grabbing a treat. (laughs) And she goes, oh, thank you. I'm like, I I just, I mean, we're sitting here. We got a boxing match, bob and weave, duck and jive. You know, we're going to make it. No, we're not going to make it. That shouldn't be something that happens to the human body. Yet it does. This is Solomon's warning. This is coming for everybody. Verse 4. The doors of the street are shut as the sound of the grinding mill is low. And one will arise at the sound of the bird. And all the daughters of song will sing softly. The mouth fails and you can't sleep even though you can't hear anything i mean this was one of those weird things of life why is it as we get older we get up earlier like i went through this with my grandfather my grandfather used to like sleep till seven o'clock in the morning and then by the time he was in his 80s it was like 4 a.m like you could get up the coffee maker is going to be on why because my grandfather's up and he got up and started the coffee maker and it is what it is now this is one of those little laughs of life I've experienced this. My grandmother used to have her hearing aid, and if she turned it up too loud, it would buzz. But it would that be that high-pitched humming sound that she couldn't hear. And so you'd walk in the house and go, Grandma, where are you? You turn your hearing aid down. Why? Because the rest of us are going to be deaf. The emergency broadcast system is coming out of your left ear. You need to turn that thing down. Oh, I can't hear that. And then she would turn it down. And then five minutes later, she'd come in. Do you hear that sound? You can't hear anything. What do you mean, do I hear a sound? She could hear something in the backyard. Can't hear the hearing aid buzzing in her own ear, but she can hear some critter digging under the deck in the backyard. That's just weird. But it's how the body breaks down. It's what Solomon is describing. It's not new. It's not something we invented in the 20th century. It's the realities of life as we fall apart. Verse 5. 
Furthermore, men are afraid of a high place and of terrors on the road. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags himself along, and the caperberry is ineffective. Before vitality is replaced with something else. I mean, let's be honest. You think about death more the older you get. Why? Because you can't lie to yourself anymore about it. You know the realities of life. And suddenly, the things that you see that you didn't worry about are a worry because you know what can happen. Cameron's grandfather had a favorite phrase. Told everybody in the house two things. Slow down and be careful. About everything. You'd be like, we're, we're going to go to the refrigerator. Be careful. <laughs> I mean, that was just how he was from his nap on the couch. Man was a professional napper from his 40s. I'm convinced of that. <laughs> Why? Because he'd lived long enough and seen enough bad things happen to know that there are dangers everywhere. Terrors on the road. Afraid of the high place. There's something that could go wrong in everything. You don't know anything could go wrong when you're seven. You're seven. You don't care. When you're 17, you're invincible. Nobody cares. When you're 27, you start maybe thinking about it. Now imagine you're 77. You're 87. You not only know what can go wrong, you know what happened when it went wrong to you. Um... When the almond tree blossoms, what color is an almond tree when it blossoms? White. Ah. (laughs) This was before the uh, the years of Just for Men. Don't you love those commercials? You can brush the gray away. Yeah, before that, what did you do? You just dealt with it. Uh, The grasshopper drags himself along. Why? Because he doesn't have any energy anymore. And he's stooping and nothing works properly, but what's he still got to do? You remember, what was, what was that? I saw this this morning. It's one of those metaphors for life. One day as an adult, you just woke up and you were a little tired, and you've been that way ever since. Did you, did you notice that? You just woke up one day, and you're like, I, I really wish I could go back to sleep today. And it has never gotten any better. This is life. This is what happens. This is what Solomon is pointing out. Um, the real fun one, the caperberry is ineffective. All right, how do I put this politely? The caperberry would have been Israel's version of a little blue pill in that time. So in other words, before certain functions and desires go away, you don't care anymore. Why? Because things are breaking down. Nothing works properly. For man goes to his eternal home while the mourners go about in the street. Yeah, because no one survives life. Solomon does not want you to miss this. This is the breakdown of humanity. This is the final attitude of everything. Now, Christian, go back to the beginning reminder that he gave you, that you're to remember your creator. Why? Isaiah 55, call upon him while he may be found. Ask and you will receive. This is what he does. He abundantly pardons. Things like Hebrews 9. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation, without reference to sin, to those who eagerly await him. That's what this initial part of this chapter is reminding you of. This is what Solomon is pointing to. Remember God before all of these things happen, and they steal your joy, and they steal even your ability to look rightly on God. Because again, remember, we are joking a little bit about all of these breakdowns. Why? Because we have them in perspective. We understand them in light of our understanding of Christ. Imagine experiencing all of these breakdowns without that hope without that anchor, without that joy, and just being bitter and angry as things that you used to take for granted just simply fall apart and go away. No understanding of the world. This is why Solomon's look at the world from the world's point of view was so important in the early chapters, is he sets you up to remember that when you examine every aspect of life, what are you left with? There's nothing good. There's no joy. There's no hope. There's no foundations. There's there's just nothing but empty and nothing. There's nothing but nothing. Great example, the things rocks dream about, nothing. If that is your world, something has gone terribly wrong. Now, Christian, that's the world that we inhabit because that is the worldview that so many people come in. This is why it is so important that you examine and check your life to be built upon that right foundation because what's the temptation? Like what does adulting actually consist of? Paying your bills on time, talking about the things that your, your kids and family have done, and then talking about what? 
how tired we are, and when you get old enough talking about what surgical procedures you have coming up or what medications you're going to get put on. I mean, have you ever sat around with your grandparents or your parents? As the, what, what's half the conversation? Yeah, woke up this morning, sciatica. Oh, well, Dr. So-and-so's got a great treatment for that. Oh, yeah, well, I got a shoulder. I got some bursitis. Well, you know, Dr. So-and-so. And it's doctor's appointments and medications. This is, this is what we end up doing because this is what consumes our lives. Now, Christian, enter into that world with a right foundation in God. Enter into that world with a foundation of testimony to the goodness that he has given, the rightness that he is, and the righteousness that he is providing to you. That's why this warning is so important. Because this is us. For all of us that laughed about watching our grandparents and our parents sit around talking about their doctor's appointments and their medicines, it's coming if God gives you that kind of time. (laughs) It's the reality. So how now will you enter into that? I pray it is wisely built on the foundation that is Christ. Solomon continues, verse 6. Remember him before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed. What? Okay. This is easy. It's an actual silver cord in an actual golden bowl. Now, that doesn't mean, it's not like a golden fruit basket hanging from the sky. It's a lamp. So if you remember when we went back, when we went through Exodus a while ago, there in the tabernacle, there is a golden cord that holds up a golden bowl that is a lamp. Well, that's the really, 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 really good one that's in the tabernacle. This is still a nice one, but it's not as nice as the one in the tabernacle. So there's a little humility by Solomon. He's pointing out to a really, really nice bowl. Now what happens though, as nice as that bowl is and as well thought of as it is, what's going to happen to that little golden orb when the silver cord breaks? It falls where? What happens when you drop lamps on the ground? Do they typically survive that sort of process? (laughs) No. That's why when the kids are running around throwing things in the house, you say what? Stop it before you break a lamp. Now, this is a really nice lamp. It's a very precious lamp. You know, maybe almost as precious as what you'd find in Genesis 1. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth. Over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. A precious creation. The pinnacle of God's creation. Um, that silver cord is really nice. That golden bowl is really good. Eventually it breaks down, and when it does, what happens? It's crushed. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread, till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. It's the judgment that comes in because of sin. This is, again, the reality of humanity. Solomon is screaming at his readers now, Stop looking at the world the wrong way. Look at your life. Recognize the realities of your life. Stop lying about it in the days of your youth and realize that you have someone greater you are to be living for. Someone, I know this is going to be hard to believe, someone more important than you. (laughs) Someone more important than you that your life should be built around. Now again, we laugh about that, but what's the mindset of the world? What's the mindset of the sinful mind as it indulges in its pride and its lusts of the flesh? I care about who? Me. Because who's the center of my world? Well, obviously I am. Otherwise, it wouldn't be my world. Yet, there's coming a time when the cord will break. The bowl will be crushed. Judgment will come. And it's coming for everyone. The the pitcher by the well is shattered. The wheel at the cistern is crushed. Verse 7. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. We've moved, though. Social imagery at the end of verse 6. The pitcher by the well is shattered. The wheel at the cistern is crushed. Now you've moved from metaphors for life to actual metaphors for judgment. Because when in city life does someone come through to crush the pitcher and break the cistern and the wheels? Yeah, would you do that? Like, yeah, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just destroy that well. And we'll just destroy the wheel that we use to get the water out of the well. We don't need that anymore. When would you do that? When you want to destroy not just the well, but the entirety of the city. This is a judgment metaphor. This is God sending the enemies. This is God bringing death. This is God bringing people to a final end. Because who would grant security to Israel? God does. If God is no longer granting security to Israel, what is he doing to them? He's judging them. Well, part of the learning lesson, or part, of the, part of learning the lesson here that death is coming at the end of every life is the lesson that at the end of every death is coming a judgment. 
And what is Solomon's warning? Fear God and remember him when? Now, while you still can. Joel 2. The Lord utters his voice before his army. Surely his camp is very great, for strong is he who carries out his word. The day of the Lord is indeed great, is indeed great and very awesome, and who can endure it? We talked about this when we went through Joel. Who can endure the day of the Lord? This is the same imagery that's used in the book of Revelation. When all of creation is sitting there, the wrath of the Lamb has been unleashed. That's still one of my favorite images of the book of Revelation, is that Jesus as the Lamb of God is unleashing unleashing his wrath and judgment. And I just love that John doesn't change that imagery, and he talks about the wrath of the Lamb. Like, can you imagine this little lamb sitting there with like a sword? (laughs) It's like, it's the cutest little judgment ever, right? Except it's, you know, it's not an actual lamb. It's you know, the king of creation coming. But they're sitting there waiting for the mountains to fall on them and the heavens to cover them. Why? Because the wrath of the lamb has been unleashed and who can stand? And the immediate next picture is what? Those that are standing around the throne who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb, who God has redeemed from the midst of the judgment. It's the same thing being warned of in Joel 2. It's the same thing being warned of here. The judgment is coming. Sin will be dealt with and sin deal, and God dealing with sin will cover every area of life because sin affects how much of your life? All of it. Which means that cleansing must come to all of it. And then verse 8. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Now we're going to stop because I think this is the first time that Solomon is not using this literally. At least not in regards to his own examination. Yes, I will live wisely and be guided by my wisdom. Useless. I will live and be pleasured by my wealth and all the things that I've accumulated. Useless. I will see and understand human interactions. Useless. Don't live for this world because it is useless. That's verse 8. This is the time when Solomon is applying that meaninglessness in the right way. Things that will be echoed in Jesus' ministry and things like Matthew 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's that, what's the joke? You never see a U-Haul behind a hearse, right? You know, the other one is when someone dies, well, what did they leave? What's the answer? Everything, everything. You know, (laughs) should I pick on Jada just a little bit? (laughs) We had the funeral on Friday and only my daughter can be this blunt. She's like me, but worse sometimes. So um, the funeral is just finishing up and getting ready and Jada looks at me and goes, I have a question. Are they going to bury her or set her on fire? <laughs> I'm like, well, I mean, in, in her defense, those are the two options, right? It's either burial or we're doing cremation. And it wouldn't be the first time we've actually done a funeral that didn't have a graveside because they were doing a cremation, but they still had the casket and the body for the funeral and the visitation. So, I mean, it's a legitimate question, but I just love that that's how she phrases it. <laughs> we're going to bury her or set her on fire? Oh, child. <laughs> But again, it's a legitimate question because those are the options, right? That's, that's it. You're not taking anything else. Now, here's the beauty of it. You can't take it with you, but in Christ, you don't have to because in Christ, you haven't built anything that is for here. You have been supposedly building things that are for eternity. This is the hope because you are living for that someone who is better than you and greater than you. You are building in a kingdom that is not yours, that is not made of flesh and bone, but it is made of eternal righteousness as it has been granted by God. This is the hope that the apostles pointed you to. Things like 1 Peter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's the hope. That's why hoping in the cisterns and the wheels and in the strength of your youth and in the vitality of your life are vanity because they can't produce an eternal goal. Only a life in Christ can. Now again, Christian, this is the warning of this chapter. What does, this is the world you enter into. This is the world that you have to encounter on a regular basis. What happens 
when you who have this hope, who are dealing with these infirmities and these breakdowns and the loss of all of the things that humanity holds dear, as you encounter those with a hope in Christ and a joy in his kingdom, and you encounter a world that is, in, that is dealing with the same breakdowns and problems without that hope. Now, let's be honest. What does misery love more than anything else? Uh-huh. You ever have just been in a bad mood and somebody tries to cheer you up? Be honest, how does that go? You're just like, you know, thank you. Thank you for bringing the sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows into my life. I needed this cheer. No, it's what? Go away. Leave me alone. I want to sit here in my hatred and I want to do what? I want to wallow and enjoy my misery. Stop trying to cheer me up. The only thing better than them leaving you alone is to come alongside and be miserable with you. Christian, now you understand why the world hates you? You're going through these breakdowns. You're going through the loss of all of these things. And you have hope. And you have joy. And you have peace. And you have security. And they don't. The problem is not me in that situation for my lack of hope. My problem is now what? You. Because how dare you enjoy this? This is miserable and ugly. And I hate it. And how dare you try to bring me up to something higher? Now you understand the, 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 the war that you are having in the world. This is, again, why you can't reason them in, why you can't change their mind. Look, memorize your scriptures, but you will never, not, never, never memorize enough, and you will never have that perfect one. You know when you'll remember the exact right verse you were supposed to use in that situation? Ten minutes after they're gone. <laughs> you will get back in your car and go, no! Just like every argument you've ever had with your boss or a coworker, it's like when you go home that night and you sit on the couch and go, why didn't I say that? Well, I don't know. Because you didn't think about it. Because that's not how the human brain works. And the Holy Spirit was like, no, no. I'm not going to let you trust in your wisdom. I'm not going to let you trust in your might. I'm going to let you stew on this and realize that you're not the answer to these problems. Not a bit of that has changed. But you still have to enter into this world and deal with them and deal with the breakdowns as they deal with those. Christian. Be wary, because the number one temptation you will have is not that you will be driven closer to your God, but you will be pulled away, because you will try to commiserate with them in their misery and their hatred, and you will try to hide the joy that is in you so that you will not annoy them too much. Annoy them, it's fine. And I'm serious, because you're annoying them with the right thing. Look, they're going to hate God anyway. What did Jesus warn you? They hate you not because of you, but because they first hated him. So know that, go into it, and anchor yourself in the right place and encounter the world with the right perspective, with the right hope, with the right anchors. Verse 9. In addition to being a wise man, the preacher, that's Solomon talking about himself, also taught the people knowledge, and he pondered, searched out, and arranged many proverbs. Yes, Yes, he did. We know that. That's the book of Proverbs. Well, most of it. Solomon doesn't write all of the book of Proverbs, but he writes most of it. It's also the Song of Solomon, which, by the way, I still encourage you to read. I may never preach through it on a Sunday morning just because I don't feel like blushing that much. <laughs> and you don't feel like watching me stutter that much as I try to make sense of all of that. So we may never do that. It's one of the few books I, I, I don't quote from on a regular basis, but I have actually done it in a sermon, and I have to make 27 apologies before I do it. <laughs> but... It is still a wise look at the world. Now, this is the first time that something has happened in this book, really. We have Solomon proclaiming that he is wise and that he is trying to teach the people knowledge and he has searched out ways to write down this knowledge. What has he not described it as? Every other time in this book, when Solomon has described trying to do something, what has it become? Vanity. Meaningless. I lived in wisdom and understood the world. Eh. I had pleasures and joys and riches. Eh. I had houses and women and all the things that life could provide. Eh. I enjoyed my job and I accomplished many things. Eh. I taught the people wisdom in the Proverbs of God. Where's the eh? It's not there because it's not vanity. It's not empty. This is what life built in the right perspective should produce. This is always, is always the catch on the, great, on the Great Commission. The Great Commission is not about you converting anybody. The Great Commission is about making what? 
disciples. We twist that in church and make it about converts. It's about disciples. We don't want to just like get people in the door, dunk them in the water, and then send them back out into the world. Ah! You know, turn into Billy Crystal and the Princess Bride. Have fun storming the castle. You know, just leave them alone, never speak to them again. We actually want people to grow and mature in the faith. This is why I do this, you know, lunatic dance that I do every Sunday, is I want you to know your Bible so that you will grow in your faith, so that you will be made into the mature men and women that you are supposed to be in Christ. No, when I say guys, it's all of you, you know, I'm from New England. We use guys like, new, in New England, guys is what y'all is in the South. It just covers everybody, okay? So there you go. <laughs> so when I ever say you guys, that's just, that's all of you, ladies included. Now, why, pray tell, might Solomon understand this? Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is the commandment, the statutes, the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God, to keep all, all his commandments which I commanded you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Oh, Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord God, I'm sorry, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. From there it enters into the Shema, and how you should talk about the things of God every day when you rise up, when you lay down, when you go about your life. Now remember, Solomon was one of the few decent kings for a while, before things completely went downhill and off the rails. What was the king supposed to do when he becomes king? Write the law. And remember, that's not Leviticus. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, De Deuteronomy. That's how the song goes. <laughs> so we're going to play those on a Sunday morning because I know them and some of the kids know them, but some of those songs are good. It's a good way to learn your, your Bible books. Deuteronomy, De Deuteronomy. It's on a riverboat and everything. It's awesome. <laughs> See, some of you are like, I'm entertained now. I'm, I'm intrigued. I want to know this. He would have to write all of this. This is part of the reason why. Is you want, don't, it's not just so that you'll know what all the laws are so you can quote Leviticus 24, but that you get the grand picture. I mean, how many of you, when, I, when you read a book, you can just start quoting to me what happened in chapter 12? No. But if you read a book, can you at least tell me in general what the book was about? That's why the king is supposed to write a copy for himself so that he can get the picture in his head so that he can understand that there is something bigger than him. Because let's be honest, uh, the realities of life is that power corrupts. And when you're king, how much power and authority do you get? How much corruption comes with that? Yet yeah, quite a bit. You need an anchor that holds you in place. Verse 10. Solomon continues, the preacher sought to find delightful words and write the words of truth correctly, as he should, because it's based on what foundation? The one that God has given. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 17. It shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of the law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priest. By the way, keep in mind there were rules to that. Like you don't get to just copy it and do your cliff notes version. There's a priest looking over your shoulder like, uh, that's the wrong vowel. You need to go back. And remember, there's no like whiteout and magic eraser back then. So, you know, you mess up half the page, you know what you got to do. I got to start over. So you're going to be very, very careful. This matters. What is Solomon telling you wisdom should do? It should understand the commands of God and do what with them when they're being taught? Teach them correctly. Which, by the way, is why I always tell you, when you start hearing weird things coming from the people who are teaching you about the Bible, what do you do? throw things at them and run screaming from the room. These are the rules. It's what you should do. I'm still going to get a bell one day. We're going to have a drill. <laughs> I'm going to give you like tennis balls or something, you know, something that won't hurt me too badly. Yeah, like have flashbacks to middle school with the dodgeball to the face. <laughs> Actually, that would work. I was good at dodgeball. Of course, we had, I had a sadistic gym teacher in middle school in elementary school, we played the weirdest version of dodgeball imaginable. It was a circle. So you take like 30 kids and you put them in a circle. And then you give them like two or three of the little dodgeballs. And you put like four or five kids in the middle of the circle. And then you start throwing. So like you see the ball coming and you dodge, but the ball bounces and goes to somebody else in the other end of the circle. You know what they're doing? Yeah, they're coming right. Like, when, I, when I watched The Matrix, I wasn't impressed. I'm like, I did that in like seventh grade. That's not a big deal. You know, you do the like, <laughs> you know, you turn into John Travolta from a bad 70s dance film. You know, you're jumping and sliding and moving because in multiple kids, then when you're down to the last person, like there's two or three dodgeballs coming at you at one time. It's like, I'm, 
<laughs> Just accept your fate. You know, so we want to do that on a Sunday morning, but I'll give you something soft to throw at me, like, you know, and we'll, and we'll do a drill. But that's why that matters. Because the minute you know something's amiss, realize when it comes to church, we're not just getting the cake recipe wrong. Like, you know, like when you make cookies, if you add a little too much of something, you know, you can change how your cookies come out. If it's too much butter or too much milk, the cookies can be crunchier, they can be softer, they can be chewier or whatever. Like when we get church wrong, we're not just messing up a cookie recipe where, oh, I wanted the crunchy ones and you made the chewy soft ones. I don't like these. No, we're dealing with souls and eternity and things that matter. We're dealing with the truth of God as he has given it to us. How dare we take liberties with that? How dare we try to instruct that in a manner that is anything less than as accurate as possible. That's part of the warning. That's why the king was supposed to write this down so that he can be careful. Because again, this is the warning. Imagine life without the understanding of who God is and what he has done. That would be life for Israel without the law. That is life for our world without Christ. This is why you have to be careful and understand these things moving forward and encounter them rightly. Verse 11. The words of wise men are like goads, and masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. They are given by one shepherd. Yes. And who is that shepherd? That is God. And that is the full, and he is fully revealed in who? The work of Christ. Again, go back to something like Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. His delight is in the law of the Lord. So how does he avoid those things? In his law he meditates day and night, and he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Notice that. I'll cover this real quick. Psalm 1 is not a promise that you will get rich in this world. Just like your contentment matters for how you understand the things that you have been given, you will be prosperous in this world as you build a life built on God, not because you have accumulated riches here, but because you have accumulated them where? Where neither moth nor rust destroys. It's the same hope. It's the same understanding. Verse 12. But beyond this, my son, be warned. The writing of many books is endless, and excessive devotion to books is wearying to the body. Mm-hmm. I'm not even going to argue with him here. You ever, you ever seen the magazine rack at a bookstore? And walk through and be like, there are magazines for this? <laughs> you're like, there's like eight people on the planet that would, be, that would care about this activity, and yet there's a magazine that has national distribution. Why? Or my other favorite is, we have websites for how much stuff now? Everything. There's a, there's a website for everything. Anything you could probably imagine, including some things you probably don't want to imagine and shouldn't imagine, if you type them into a search browser and hit .com, there's probably something that's going to come up. And realize that when that happens, someone has paid money for that. Someone put time and energy into building that and maintaining that. And you go, but Why? Because this is what the worldly pursuits give you. Remember, this is part of the reason why the first part of the book has to occur before this chapter. Solomon has looked at every aspect of life from the world's perspective and discovered that it's what? Meaningless. And it's empty. But now imagine you live in your world and you're trying to find meaning. But you have not God. What will you do? You will create a God somewhere and say, now I have meaning. And it doesn't have to be some deity that you bow down to. It could be some understanding about life, some understanding about your mind, some hope that you have in your physical fitness. Welcome to the God that you have created, and now my life has meaning. I live to do that thing. This is the idolatry. This is what worldliness produces. That's why Paul gives warnings. Um, things like 2 Timothy 2, instructing Timothy to teach. Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God, not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers, but be diligent to present yourself, approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. It's the same thing. You'll write books and build websites and do all of these things and will accomplish what? We'll chase our tails just a little bit faster. It's like, <laughs> I told you this last week. Every once in a while, the dog catches his tail. And then he doesn't know what to do with it. He just sits there. Has this look on his face like, I never planned for this outcome. And he'll walk over. It's the weirdest thing. Like, mouth on tail. And he'll walk sideways to the couch and then sit on the couch with his tail in his mouth. 
you're just looking at him and he's looking at us. Cause like, it looks at us like, can you tell me what I'm supposed to do next? And the answer is no, because I don't know why you did that. <laughs> like it never once dawned on me to put my foot backwards and chase, my, chase it until I bit it. I don't know why you did that. This is what the world is doing in their search for wisdom, in their search for knowledge, in their search for hope, in their search for everything. And that's why the conclusion is so good. And this is the fine. These are the good verses. You're writing verse 13. The conclusion, when all has been heard is this, fear God, keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. Yes, because the reality of life is just that. Wait for it. You ready for this? The reality of life is that it's actually a reality. (laughs) The realities aren't made up. This is what Paul is trying to get onto the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs, Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block, to the Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are being called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I mean, think about it. All of our wisdom in the world, right? All the books, all the websites, all the things that we know, the endless degrees that we will grant you if you have enough money. What do we know? I mean, what are we actually certain about in the world? This is, I mean, this is the great understanding of philosophy down through the ages, is that if you look at the history of philosophy, we moved from a, a, a pre-modern understanding where there was an authority, and the authority told me what to do, and I followed the authority, and life was good. And then we moved to what we call a modern world, where we are seeking to understand these things ourselves. So we're no longer just listening to you because you're an authority. We want to know what your sources are. So you tell me that you should stand on one leg to the end of time. Pre-modern world went, okay. A modern world went, why? What's the evidence? What's the rationale? What's the basis? Then you entered into a post-modern world. And this is where most of your children and grandchildren and nieces and nephews live. Where someone goes, you should stand on one leg. And they look at you and go, but what are legs? What is to stand? And you just look at them and go, I don't even understand what that question means. And you can't because you're still understanding what? That there are foundations and that there are realities. And a postmodern world looks at it and says, I'm not real sure about that. And now you're entering into what's going to be happening to your grandkids and your great-grandkids, which is the full-blown relativistic world that we enter into. It's the post-postmodern world. In which case, that we go, well, you should stand on one leg. And they go, we already know that legs are a social construct, okay? And I might be standing on the inside. And that's what matters. And you look at that and go, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But that's the argument that allows you to go to whatever bathroom you want. Because this is how I feel. We've lost the arbiter of truth. We've lost the sources behind the truth. And we've now moved truth to where? Oh, gee, is there a verse about that? About idolatry and avoiding that and things like that? You know, living for something beyond yourself? I mean, This is what our wisdom produces. The more we engage in the worldliness, the more we chase our tail, we eventually grab onto something, but what does it accomplish? Nothing. We live in a progressing time, right? Everybody wants progress. To what? Just out of sheer curiosity. (laughs) No, I'm serious. For all of our progress, what does it accomplish? What have we built? What have we understood? The answer is nothing, really. See, what's the first lie? You know what the first lie is, right? Did God really say what's the first problem that it creates ye be like god eat the fruit it'll make you wise and you will be like the most high and they looked at the fruit and saw that it was good and saw that it would make them wise and they did what Because when you start questioning, did God really say, you lose the foundation, you lose the source. Now who's the authority and who's the God? I am. I make a lousy deity. You already knew that. Here's the bad news. You make an even worse one. (laughs) And that's just because of my perspective. You look at me and go, oh yeah, well you're even worse than I am. And I would say, you know what, you're probably right. We can't do this because we don't 
have the power and the authority. And that's why this is so important. This is the conclusion. We've looked at all of life. We've examined everything that the world produces and we have found nothing but God. And that's where the hope has to be. That's where the foundation has to rest. And that's where the life of the believer and of everyone has to actually be built. Verse 14, for God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Yep, we covered that at the very beginning. What's the hope in that, Christian? You afraid of that? Do you sit awake lying and night going, oh no, God's going to judge every evil act? Not in Christ, because we have Jude. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the, whole, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now, and forevermore. Amen. This is... Excuse me. I got choked on my own words there. Didn't know that was possible. This is why I read the section I read out of Hebrews. This is why you're not afraid. Israel came to the mountain, and there was the thunder, and the lightning, and the smoking, and the quaking, and all of that, and they said what? We're good. You go. We're, we're going to stay right here. That's not you, Christian. That's not how you have come to God. You have seen the kindness of the Lord, 1 Peter 2. You have seen the mercy and the grace and the joy as Romans 2 describes. And you have seen who he is towards you in spite of you. And that's why we have things like Hebrews 4. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, not being blown about. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are and yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Not with fear. What's the cure for the fear as we age? Understanding of who Christ is. What's the cure for the breakdown? Understanding that this body is not my home. What's the cure for being terrified as the world seems to speed up? Understanding that this world is not the eternal destination. But there is a cleansing coming when as we stoop in Christ, who will be raised up. And as everything that is sped up and is terrifying is left, right, and center, it's coming a day when it will slow down and serve the glory of God. And that which is broken will be put back together, and that which is corrupted will be cleansed. And if it has not been cleansed in Christ, then it will be judged in God, and we will rejoice in all of it because we will have seen his work rightly. Not living for this place, because this place produces what? It's the entirety of the book. Empty, nothing. But what does Christ produce? Eternal value, joy in his presence, and a hope that endures in spite of everything. Let's pray.